Hey everybody, it's Scott. We finally got here. Welcome to the coming of shadows. This is a longer episode, but I think you can understand why, and I think we're probably going to have some of you jumping on for the first time. So welcome, and please be sure to check out our other shows, and be sure to hit that like and subscribe button, and the subscribe button on your podcast app of choice. And finally, a reminder, we are giving away that Kosh action figure. So if you go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, you'll be entered in to win the Kosh action figure, which will be given out at the end of February. And so here we are, the coming of shadows. The past tempts us, the present confuses us, and the future frightens us. And our lives slip away moment by moment, lost in that last terrible in-between. But there is still time to seize that one last fragile moment. He wanted to say he's sorry. What? He came all the way out here, risked his health, and endangered his life so that he could stand beside a Narn in neutral territory and apologize for all the things the Centauri have done to your people, for all the things his family did. He said, you were wrong. The hatred between our people can never end until someone is willing to say, I'm sorry. Before coming here, I received a communique from my government. For a hundred years, the Centauri occupied our world, devastated it. We swore we would never let that happen again. This attack on our largest civilian colony has inflicted terrible damage and loss of life. They have crossed the line we cannot allow them to cross. As a result, two hours ago, my government officially declared war against the Centauri Republic. Our hope for peace is over. We are now at war. We are now at war. How will this end? In fire. Lari. What did he say, really? He said... We are both damned. Well, it's a small enough price to pay for immortality. An emperor will fall. A colony will perish. I have no choice. And a captain will try to stop. Not again! A galactic war. All wings attack! On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who are watching every episode of babylon 5 and we have come to the third highest ranked episode of the series 
and the Hugo award-winning episode of the series, The Coming of Shadow. So I'm just going to guess that some of you are listening to us for the first time. So just so you're aware how this works is we have a group of newbies who are watching the show for the first time. They have only watched up to The Coming of Shadows. We're going to talk to them get their impressions, talk about the episodes, but we're not going to talk about anything that happens after this episode, which my first ones who have watched the whole show, we're going to have to be very good because there's a lot of chances for us to elude the stuff we don't want to allude to. Once the newbies have talked about the episode, they will give us questions and predictions of what they think is going to come next. We will have them leave, and then we will dive in to a spoiler section where we will be talking a lot about what happened in this episode. I have a feeling it probably will be our longest beyond the rim, just a hunch. So I am Scott and with me as always is Blake, Emily, Justin, John, Jesse, Kevin, Mike, Andrew, and Nicole. So I want to hit on a couple things real quick. First off, for all of those who are joining us on this journey, you all have been kind of waiting for this episode. You knew it was coming, even though the newbies did not. We, as the first ones, have been waiting too. And I reached out to our folks on Twitter and Facebook and asked them what they feel about the coming of shadows. And I wanted to highlight one off Twitter from Reptilian Samurai. Reptilian Samurai says, The coming of shadows is great TV, and it's why we watch Babylon 5. Brilliant, compelling, devastating. It hits hard because we've grown to know and love these characters, and we know that a threshold has been crossed. Where do Londo and Jakar go from here? As viewers were hooked. I think that was the best description I could come up with for the coming of shadows. And so what we're going to do now is dive in. But before we do, make sure that you do like and subscribe, whether you're listening to us on your podcast app of choice or on YouTube. You also have our Twitter, our Facebook, our Patreon, our merch link. All of it is down below. So please make sure that you join us for the rest of this journey, because as I said with signs and portents, and I mean it this time, we are full steam ahead. So let's go ahead and get into our first impressions. And we're going to go to Emily first. First impressions on The Coming of Shadows. Basically, damn it, Londo, what the fuck? That's as short as I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> and that says so much, doesn't it? Justin, first impression. Yeah, I mean, as an episode, that was some good shit, right? I really don't have anything negative to say about it. Londo done sold his soul. And we get to see kind of the a story of choices made, betrayal, and regret. And I absolutely loved it. And it's, you know, noticing what the, what the season was called. It was great. I loved it. It was fun. Lots to talk about. That is all. Cool. John, first impressions. I am devastated. Devastated. We will get into it much further and in quite more detail. But I just don't know what I can do with Londo. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to justify it. I'm at veer levels of disappointment and huh. anger. I mean, I know that's what we'll focus on, but I mean, we, we haven't even, you know, I'm the third thing, I think, person to go. We haven't even mentioned that fucking Sinclair shows up in this episode. Everything about this is goddamn bananas. And I had to watch this thing multiple times. Uh, I have my dog just judging me. Why are you crying? Why are you yelling? What's wrong with you? It's so much more. Again, I I'll save it till we dive in, but son of a bitch. John, as I told you before we started recording, I did a spoiler commentary live about this on our YouTube. And some of the comments in the chat were, yeah, John's going to have issues with this one. And I think Ryan over at Yum Yum mentioned pour one out for John and Londo after the coming of shadows. But we'll get into it. Jesse, first impression. I feel like we all knew it was coming, John. Like I, I 
I feel like we've said this like a hundred times, like Londo's in for a really bad time. I watched the episode twice. So if that tells anybody anything, when I said to my husband today, I said, I want to watch it again. He said, what? I'm like, yep, we're watching it again. I can't wait. I like, <laughs> so um, I feel a lot like this one that um, about this one, like I did with Science and Portents. So I enjoyed it. Andrew, first impressions. Yeah. So first half of this season, like the episodes were pretty, in my obligatory terms, it was mid, but now we're kind of, it seems like we're at a point where the show is starting to go balls to the wall again. Uh, so I'm now very much looking forward to the second half of season two. Also, the Rangers were brought up. So, Scott, I must ask, where were they during the first half of season two? Watch season two again, and you're going to find some interesting stuff in season two. That ain't the first time you've seen right, the Rangers. Yeah, that's a, uh, I, I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. Rewatching Babylon 5 is a whole other experience because that is not the first time you have seen a Ranger. Nicole, first impression. Well... You know, the minute Sinclair popped on the screen, I screeched like a little girl. I was very excited to see Sinclair, but that's not the point of the whole episode. So the whole episode overall was unreal. Like, I also watched it twice and I was like, holy hell, this is a lot in one hour episode. Like, it's like they took something and put it in the microwave for too long and it exploded everywhere. That's kind of how I felt. I'm like, it's just there was so much and then bam it was like this whole season came to fruition in this episode i feel like that was a really bad description sorry but you know what i'm trying to say like i i don't even know like i was mind blown and again after the second time i watched it i have a lot of questions i have a lot of comments which we'll get into but overall like everybody said god damn it londo and also this episode was just amazing very very good so let's go over to our first ones and we'll go to Kevin first. Impressions on The Coming of Shadows, be good. <laughs> yes, this this episode certainly has implications. There are a couple of uh, memorable lines from this one, which I'll mention later on. Definitely like a couple of the guest stars in this one too. Nice to see Michael O'Hare again. Definitely like William Forward as Lord Rifa, a couple others, so... Um, yeah, this this episode is definitely a favorite of the whole series. It it sets a tone. It it uh, it definitely has major implications for later in the later in the show. So everyone's going to really really enjoy from here on out, and I'm sure we're going to uh, really enjoy t- discussing this one because there's a lot to talk about. Mike, first impressions. Oh, this is a great episode. It it has all the things that I like. It's it introduces some mysteries, some sweet cameos. Um, it's it's big on world building like they bring in the rangers which you know every episode of the show could introduce like a, a new subgroup that we didn't know about before and i would go bananas for it so you know having the rangers show up is awesome um yeah just and, and, and a lot of great character moments that we'll talk about later so and blake so i think jms on the usenet said it best that this is one of those episodes that just takes the breath out of you and it's true. And I love this episode. Um, the other thing I'll comment on my first impression with it is JMS is very good at dialogue and script. To me, this is an episode that really relies on the visuals in the episode as much as it does the dialogue. You see what's going on. There's that aspect of it, too, which I think is a little bit of a departure over some of the other uh, JMS scripts we've seen. You guys hit on everything for the episode and i'll get into more detail how i feel as we go but the one that i do want to hit on in our first little section is i keeps calling this a hugo award and for sci-fi nerds you know what that is but for others you probably don't 
The Hugo Award is basically the Oscars for sci-fi. And it's not even that's it's it's not like oh it's a TV show, TV shows win all the time. Since the Hugo Awards had started back in 1958 up until when this episode came out, only 7 times had a TV show won a Hugo. It was Twilight Zone 3 times, the original series for The Menagerie and The City on the Edge Forever, Star Trek, and Star Trek The Next Generation for The Inner Light and then All Good Things. So no non-Twilight Zone, non-Star Trek show had ever won the Hugo before. And when this was up and nominated for the Hugo, it was nominated alongside Apollo 13, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Visitor, which is one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine, Toy Story and 12 Monkeys the film. So this thing was up with some heavy hitters and won. And it's not the last time Babylon 5 will win. And I think it's well-deserved. So let's go ahead and start talking about the episode. Nicole, what do you got? So the first thing I noticed was that it started in Centauri Prime, which by the way, that building looked cool as hell. Like I was like, that's a palace I want to live in. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. Also, Rifa, I kept thinking his name was Reefer, which makes me think maybe I'm a closet pothead and I didn't know because <laughs> I kept calling him Reefer. Not right. What <laughs> Rifa. Yeah. So um, but he was an evil bastard. I did not like him. One thing that really hit me really hard in the episode was the emperor and how just how much regret he had. And how like sad he was almost, you know, and when he said that one quote, um, I think it was him who said the past tense, the present confuses and the future frightens us. I was kind of like, that is, I mean, so telling for today, you know, like that's something that can be evergreen in a sense, because I almost thought that was like the theme of the episode, because everything that happened in this episode, he had just a lot of regret about his past and then his president is confusing because he wants to do the right thing and, you know, wants to see the Borlon and he wants to make amends to Jakar and all that stuff. And then the future is scary for all of them in a way, because nobody knows what's going to happen now that Londo shit the bed. It was so fucked up, basically, how he was like trying to right the ship. And then Lando and Lord Pothead were just like, fuck you, we're going to do our own thing. And then they killed the guy, the prime minister, is that who it was, who stayed behind? Then they kill him and... It just, the irony to me was just so, it was like a gut punch. Uh, so I could keep going, but I know other people want to talk. So that's the first thing I wanted. So you hit on one of the major themes of the episode, and that is fear of the unknown. The other theme that you also hit on at the end there is not not understanding that you can change destiny. The emperor says it, that he spent 30 years not realizing that he could do anything but just be what he was. Shakar says, no matter what happens, either I will die or go to prison. The emperor will die or he will not, but everything is going to end here. Londo has gone from being hesitant to use the shadows to being less hesitant to use the shadows. The whole idea here is not being able to break those cycles. And as Franklin pointed out, in what I think is one of the best Franklin scenes we've seen so far with Jakar, somebody has to break the cycle. Unfortunately, no one does in this episode. John. Yeah, so um, Nicole, I, I also was very excited to see Centauri Prime and that palace uh, had a real Asian look to it, which was super interesting, I thought. And nice though, I, so I agree, it was, it was nice. Um, we also got some hair updates which I thought was interesting. Yeah, you know, talking about the theme. So I wrote down in my notes, I wrote, you know, destiny versus free will. I wrote choice. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of that in all the things you mentioned, Scott. And to me, I'll focus on the Lando piece at least 
for now. The the thing that's so like heartbreaking for me is that, you know, previously all jokes aside, Lando was a great character, but his use of Morden could be explained away, right? Oh, I just said it in jest. I didn't realize he did it. Um, it was an accident. Like it was terrible, but it happened. And, you know, you could kind of say, okay, that's fine. But in this instance, I mean, there's almost no excuse for it. Not only does no one else suggest it, he comes up with it on his own, which means he's thinking about it, which means he knows it's a tool, which means he's willing to use, already having the knowledge of what exactly that means. Not only that, Veer, again, and I think one of the best performances he's given as a character thus far, um, heartbreakingly tells him you don't have to do this. And in something that I am sure everyone knows will come again, when he says, listen, I will remind you of this conversation when it comes back. It's, I mean, you just, you can already just feel it seeping out and knowing, well, I can see that scene because how many times you have to be told, don't do this, don't do this, you're a moron. Look at the scumbag you're getting in, in league with. And I'm not even talking about Morton to Nicole's point. I'm talking about <laughs> Captain Pothead, who I think is worse than Morton. I fucking hate that guy because he's corrupted my Londo. So many warnings that you don't have to do this. And later in episode, you know, when when Lando says basically, oh, I didn't have a choice. And Veer again calls him on a shit. Yes, you did. You had a choice and you've made it. That's why it's that's why I'm devastated. I, I still think in the end, Lando, or I don't know, I'm trying to hold on to anything I got at this point. I'm hoping that there will be another chance for him to, to redeem himself, um, you know, with with this the, the shadow war. And hopefully he can turn the tide because at this point. It is, it's awful and it's only going to get worse because I. it's closing around on him. We saw that with Sheridan, right? He. They seem to think that they know the Centaurs are at least somewhat in league with the Shadows. Obviously, Londo is immediately the first suspect. So I assume that box is going to get uh, closed in on him uh, very soon. So um, I just, I thought uh, just a fantastic performance. I know we just had Peter on recently. God, I wish I'd have seen this episode first before that interview. So I could have totally fangirled out and just talked about his acting and his acting with Andreas. I think this is Jakar's best episode. So many of them, I think this is their, their high point. Um, I only wish I could have told them uh, in the interview, but uh, so much more. I'll, I'll turn the, the mic over and, and come back, but just speechless. This is, this is prestige television before we called it prestige television after the Sopranos. This is, this is what you want. Compelling characters, amazing storylines, stakes, acting. It's, it's, it's all there. So um, I don't take back everything I said about season one or the show when I first started. Um, but I will say if the me back then knew the me now, you know, maybe he'd have toned it down 10%. Just 10%, right? <laughs> Kevin, what do you got? To your point, John, you know, Veer's uh, writing and you know, the actor's portrayal in this episode is great. I, I even like some of the, some of the nonverbal stuff that he was doing in a couple of the scenes, you know, Rifa tries to hand him a, a glass that he's done with, and he just gives him a look like, screw you, man. I am not your fucking maid. And then some of the some of the stuff that Veer does, you know, trying to get Londo's attention and he he puts him off. And then their discussion, to your point, Jen, I feel like this was such a great episode, you know, for Stephen for such a such a strong episode for for that. But you, you guys are talking about Veer, which his characterization here is great. Stephen did an amazing job with it. But there's a lot of people, including other podcasts that may be watching at the same time we do that say Veer is just as culpable as Londo in this because Veer had a choice to go ahead and go get Mr. Morton for Londo and did not tell anybody what was going on. Nicole, you're shaking your head all you want, but Veer is culpable in 250,000 deaths and whatever because he did nothing to stop it. Nicole, go ahead. 
<laughs> That's a good point, Scott. I didn't think about that. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the vision or dream that Londa was having, where he was the emperor and then Jakar comes and chokes him, didn't wasn't that brought up in season one? Whether Midnight it was like on the fire. Yes, line. I thought so. I was like, I remember that. Yeah. Um, but that vision or dream he kept having, I was pretty disturbing, but also it was like back then, if I would have known that we were going to see this in a vision, I would have been like, what great foreshadowing. But like, that was the instantaneously the first thing I thought of. I'm like, he already brought this already was like discussed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, I was like, so is this how they're both going to die regardless? Because they brought it up and then the vision. And even if they like make up like, this this um idea or this thought or this action keeps coming back up. This is now the second time. And this was a clear vision that, or dream that Londo had. So I thought that was really crazy because I, I was watching and I was like, am I? And I went back in my notes and I was like, oh, damn, we did see that. So I just thought that was a really interesting piece of the episode. Mm -hmm. And at the end, when... Um, they said to uh, was it Vera who said, oh, you want to be emperor? And he's like, oh, I don't want to be emperor. I just want to work behind the scenes. Yeah, your ass wanted to be emperor until you saw you were going to get choked out by Jakar. Now you don't want to be the emperor, you know. But also another thing I want to point out, he looked very weathered, beat down, lonely, almost sickly on that like throne he was sitting on before Jakar came to him. Mm -hmm. So maybe he saw like, oh, being emperor isn't all it's cracked up to be. So anyway, well, that's all. To, to your point, we heard a little bit more on Midnight on the Firing Line. It wasn't that he just had a vision. He told us at Midnight on the Firing Line that Centauri see their death in yes. visions before that's it right. happens. That's right. So this is not the first time. Well, this is the first time we've seen it as the yeah. audience. But this is not the first time that Londo has seen a vision of his death because he said when he saw, and this is in Midnight on the Firing Line, when he saw Jakar for the first time on Babylon 5, he knew that was yeah. the person from his vision, his death vision. So that well, means me, it's going to happen basically regardless is what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If if it's prophetic, you don't know yet. I will tell you one thing, and I'll go into more detail and beyond the rim. JMS did not tell the actors where their characters would be going for the most part throughout the show because he wanted them to be surprised as it happened. Two times we know of that wasn't the case. JMS told Michael O'Hare what his, his character was going to go at the beginning of the show. That obviously changed because Michael O'Hare left. But for this episode, and actually he was told when they were filming Chrysalis, Peter was told how Londo was going to end because he wanted Peter to understand as he was acting out these visions what he was actually seeing. He did not tell Andreas what Andreas was seeing, who's also in that scene. But uh, Peter is one of the few people on the show now who knows where his character's going because JMS told him in order to act out this scene one way or the other. Blake, what do you got? I think this is one of the first episodes we see with Jakar on really a growth arc. You know, we see that bit at the end where he has that revelation after that conversation with Franklin and goes to have the drink with Londo to toast to the Centauri Emperor. And, you know, we see that first bit where Jakar is capable of more than what we've seen. And I'm excited to see where that develops and goes, uh, especially with our newbies. But... Also, just that interactions between him and Peter are so phenomenal. And this is one of those episodes that really has that uh, dynamic on full display with this. The other part I was going to comment on was the Sinclair appearance. They actually filmed that uh, when they were doing the first episode of season two. This was part of that promise JMS made that he would have an exit and a way to resolve some of the characters. So this was filmed very, very early on 
um, as kind of a way to provide some closure to uh, the Sinclair arc. Mm -hmm. That scene between Shakar and Londo is, I've seen it probably a th literally hundreds of times, and it is still a gut punch every single time to your health and to your emperor's health. And Londo already knows what he's done. It is just, oh, Jesse. That's really what I wanted to talk about because I don't know how they come back from this. Like, I know that all the first ones probably know exactly what happens, but like, how do you, how do you come back from such deep betrayal? Like this dude sat and bought you a drink and toasted to your health and knowing at least one, but two times in these seasons, this dude has done the same shit to your people. So like, I, you know, we called it, a, I don't know if it was this season, but I said, this shit's coming to a head and here we are. So like, I would like, I'm excited to see where the the plot goes with like how they interact with each other. And like, because when we talked to Peter, he said how good him and Andres, um, how good their friendship was. So it's interesting to watch the relationship that they have right now on the show, knowing that they are such good friends. So it was, I'm excited and I can't wait to see John cry. How dare you, Jessica? How dare you? Do not use my emotions as a weapon. Don't Londo me. Don't make you Londo and me, Jakar. How dare you? <laughs> um, but I won't sit here and listen, Scott, to you smear the gentleman that is Veer and put blame on him and have him be complicit and just ignore all of the other people who also who know about the shadows. Now, I'll give you that Veer could have stood up and said, hey, I'm not going to do it and had to tell this principle. I give you that. But don't sit there and say that and then let go of the Minbari and Sinclair and all these other people who clearly know who these shadow fucks are. I'm looking right at you, Kosh, and all the Vorlons, which we can get into in a minute, looking right at you suckers and just give them a free pass for just doing nothing and or, well, we'll just sit and gather some intel and wait and see. And just, by the way, be on the lookout. We've, I've said this and we've talked about it in previous episodes. Like, what do you owe, right? When the techno mages were bouncing, I said it then, hey man, can you just tell anybody anything before you go? So I picked the same vibes. I'm going to throw, sorry, Nicole, a little shade on your boy Sinclair in this instance. People know more than they're letting on. And I think that is almost more culpable. And as I'm just going to try to protect Blondo a little bit, maybe not as bad as genocide, but it's not great. Maybe they, we, maybe we could have avoided it if somebody had said anything about the shadows. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here. I'm trying Londo. I'm trying so hard. I'm being <laughs> such a dick right now, <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I, I don't crucify Veer without talking about all these suckers first. Oh, I completely agree with you, John. There's a lot of people who could step up, but you guys were loving on Veer. So I had to throw some water on you. Jesse. To be fair, if Veer didn't do it, Londo would have done it himself. So like he's done it before without Veer's help. So like, I was just following we're orders. We're going to go back to the techno mages. That, that's what he was doing. Like, don't you besmirch his good name, sir. Like that, that's, that's, that's a line from American and world history. That is not a good line. I'm just saying I was just following orders. Ugh. Yeah. That didn't work so well with the Nazis either. <laughs> no, it did not. Actually our, our friends over at Babylon five for the first time actually said, if Veer was on trial at Nuremberg, mm. what he did 
in this episode would get him the death penalty. Yeah. Oh, this is slander. This is outrageous slander. <laughs> man. All he did was make a phone call. He didn't pull a trigger. He didn't order ships. He didn't, he wasn't complicit at all. His boss told him to call somebody. He called him. He didn't know what was going on. Plausible deniability. I won't have he you. Know what was going I don't have on. You can leave your comments down below yeah. on how you feel about that. A hundred percent knew what he was doing. In fact, he sat there and begged him not to do it, but still help. And I'm also confused as to why you don't call 250,000 deaths genocide, but we'll move on. Or, I didn't say that was not genocide. What I said was the other people, like the, the Vorlons, the Minbari, everyone else who knows not saying something. Got it. Are they not also complicit? Maybe they got a little genocide on their hands. Isn't it interesting, too, that the colony just happened to have the same amount of people that are on Babylon 5? I don't think that was coincidence just throwing it out there nicole what do you got we were talking a little bit about um jakar and londo you know and their dynamic in this episode and uh jesse brought up a good point about how do you continue from here but what got me a lot on this one was first of all sheridan stopped him from killing the emperor basically and he thanked him for stopping him but at the end he was like destroyed with that betrayal he was like practically in tears and that was like that was a gut punch to me because i know i kind of been a little hard on chikar saying he was my least favorite blah 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 he's grown on me but this episode kind of made me like him a lot more and i really felt like his performance was so good and that's again what the show is showing us these great storylines these great performances these great Great actors and just the whole like emotional roller coaster that he was on. You know, first he's like, I'm going to kill the empire. Here's or the emperor. Here's where who's going to get what? Give Natoth this, you know, give this one that, you know, and then he think he he goes into a rage. Sheridan stops him. He thanks Sheridan. He calms down, buys Londo the drink. He's cheerful and this and that. And then at the end, he's like practically in tears. I'm like, man. This dude has been through the ringer in this whole episode. And like Jesse said, how do you come back from that? Like, how is this going to move forward in a way where they're not going to be able to be on Babylon 5 as ambassadors together? They're not going to be able to go to meetings together. They're not going to be able to do the the purpose of their jobs. There's no way I would want to punch that motherfucker in the face every time I saw him <laughs> if I knew he was responsible for killing all my people. Like I was just so moved by his performance in this episode. And like it almost kind of made me tear up a little bit at the end, too. I, I just you felt his pain. I, I'm sure everybody else felt the same way, but like you literally felt his pain at the end. And I was just like, damn, I think it's important. None of you guys have hit on this yet. I mean, you've alluded to it. We're now at war for the first time on this show. The, the, the Babylon five is the last best uh, hope for peace. We're at war, not the earthlings, but the Narn and the Centauri are at war. And that's got to change the dynamic even a little bit. John. Yeah. I was going to mention that, that at the end, they, they formally declared war, which, you know, to your point, Nicole is going to make for some interesting council meetings to say the least. So I, I am interested to see where that goes. Um, I did want to, before I talk about, uh, what I want to talk about, I did want to kind of clarify a couple of times people have mentioned that they killed 250,000 people. They said there were 250,000 Narns at that colony, but there clearly are multiple survivors because that was the whole point of tricking Londo to let them off. So again, still bad. Right. There's You're definitely correct. a lot of people died, but it wasn't as if they wiped out the whole colony, which is what I think they did the first time. So fortunately, I look at silver lining. Some people survived and they're going to get off and go back to Narn, hopefully. So uh, it's not like he killed 10 thousand people oh wait that was last time yeah he's a piece of shit 
you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, again, I want to go back to Kosh, who I don't know that we put enough emphasis on this episode. It feels like he and the Vorlons get lost. But something that struck me as super odd that I would love to hear anyone else like give me rationale for the emperor kind of threw away a line was just like, Oh, I'd love to see a Vorlon. Right. He was like, we've sent so many expeditions to Vorlon territories. They've never came back. And then just like walked away and was like, Oh, 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 well in what universe would a species send multiple like discovery ships or people or things out there that never come back and still be like, uh, well, you know, those Narns or, you know, those Vorlons, they're crazy like that. So I'd love to hear more about that. That part did not, it didn't make sense to me. Andrew. Yeah. So we're now, so the Babylon five is now at war, or I should say the, the Centauri and uh, the Narn are now at war. Is this the great war that has been, teased throughout that intro for season two i'll answer that for you as soon as you leave mm. it's it's babylon five and the shadow people isn't it <laughs> i will answer that for you as soon as you leave i will say i think many of you will be surprised all right well, i'll get to that blake what do you got one thing, one thing that's interesting with this episode too if you think about it and you go back to midnight on the firing line which already kind of came up is that's where the vision was described with londo saying he had this vision of his death we didn't see it but he described it look at the flow of the story in midnight you know you had the council meeting you had the attack on at that point a centauri colony by the narn and then you track this storyline where you get basically the mirror image of midnight on the firing line um, with coming of shadows. So really I would say go back and watch that episode again for our newbies and watch the detail in that and then watch this one again. So I know Jesse, you said you may go back and watch this one for a third time. I would say watch midnight and then watch this one for the third time. Agreed. Mm -hmm. This, as you guys build up your experience and knowledge on this show, I I think you're going to have us telling you that more now as things start connecting the dots, like Andrew, go back and watch the first part of season one again. You will see some Rangers. Same idea. They're, this stuff is kind of puzzled in as we go. Nicole? Well, thanks for blowing my mind, Blake. I uh, I kind of wanted to talk about, um, we were talking a little bit before about the Vorlon and, and their role in all this. Um, when the Emperor wanted to see the Vorlon and he was so like dead set on it, I thought it was really underwhelming. All he said was it ends in fire. What ends in fire? The war? Like what what does that mean? Like what what the hell? I think the Vorlon must be a key to this shadow murder shadow bullshit because one of the things Sinclair said was stay close to the Vorlon and watch out for the shadows, right? What key or what piece do the Vorlon play? And what what did he predict or what did he mean to the emperor? Like, and why wouldn't the Vorlon see them before? Like, why did he wait till the guy was on his deathbed to go see him? You know? So I just think that there's a, there's definitely a connection there and I'm getting the red yarn out. What is the connection with these damn mysterious Vorlon? It's just driving me absolute batshit crazy. And I know I won't find out until the end of time, but just two years. I, I was waiting for this like big sequence between the emperor and Kosh. And it was like this underwhelming sentence. And I was like, that's it really. I mean, I know it was probably means more, but if you don't know what it means, it's kind of underwhelming a little bit to me. Mike. I, I just want to say, I, I looked at it more like Kosh granted this man's dying wish just yes. to drop by his deathbed and drop a six zinger on him. <laughs> he got Koshed. <laughs> yeah, he did. But no, I mean, real to that point, you have, and we, we learned through talks between Sheridan and Jakar that it wasn't this emperor who really did the nasty stuff. 
it was his father. So for 30 years, he's had to deal with the sins of his father, the sins of his people. And as he said, trying to find a way to break that cycle, to do something different. He finally has the opportunity. He knows he's going to die. So at this point, he has nothing to lose. I'm going to go to Babylon 5, and I'm going to apologize. And in apologizing, I'm going to change the galaxy. I'm going to make my final stand. I'm going to leave a legacy. I'm going to be a good person. And then after it's all said and done, he gets to see a Vorlon, and the Vorlon says it ends in fire, and then he dies. That's I can think of many adjectives. Underwhelming is not one of them. That is one of the most tragic lines in any show I've ever seen. You spend your entire life hoping, hoping that you can make a change, and you get told on your deathbed it ends in fire. See, I guess I didn't think he meant that. You know, I thought maybe he asked him a question or he like did some kind of, you know, like maybe he read his mind or, you know what I mean? I thought maybe he was like, what's going to happen with the centaur? You know, I didn't, I guess I didn't look at it from that perspective. Like that's what he was asking. So that makes a lot more sense why maybe I, I just, I guess I just didn't understand the dynamic of that, of the scene. But now that you said that, I'm like, oh, I guess I should eat my words now. Sorry. So fortunately or unfortunately, but I think fortunately, uh, he doesn't die right after that, right? He still gets to basically tell a shitty Centauri Grimma worm tongue and Londo to his face that you guys are going to hell. Like, <laughs> by the way, fuck you guys, <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> um, so at least he gets that little shot before he bounces. Um, but I did want to come back. Uh, Blake mentioned it at the top. You know, JMS wrote this episode, lots of good writings. We've talked about Sheridan a little bit, but uh, he had a couple of good quotes. His uh, first of all, he's got 29 rules. So I hope if you talk about beyond the rim, what the first 28 are, how many are there? What are we talking about? Here? He's a Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. Um, his dad's quote made me think of that Irish toast. Um, you know, if you're going to fight, fight death or cheat, cheat death. If you're going to love, love, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I thought of um, from that. But very well written episode and, and Sheridan again, showing uh, intelligence, but not over the top intelligence and diplomacy, right? You know, we've, we used to give Sinclair some shit for being, I guess you'd call it like Superman, like, Oh, of course, here it comes again. Um, but Sheridan's had a death touch. Um, in this episode, he shows that with what he uh, interacts with Londo, um, how he treats Garibaldi and his message and Garibaldi again, also smart and getting increasingly better at his job, uh, gets the drop on the Ranger. Um, and then, you know, his, his response to Sheridan basically like, yeah, well, if I tell you then you're never going to trust me. And so we're kind of going to catch 22. How bad do you really want to know? Or can you just trust me? Um, which is something we talked about at the beginning of the season, right? Like how would Garibaldi's relationship with Sheridan be since he was so close to Sinclair? So, um, just another, lots of little nugs, uh, in this episode from, uh, from before. Mike. Yeah. I'm going to be careful not to go beyond the rim with this, but I, I wanted to add something about what, uh, to kind of build on on one of the questions that John brought up between the, the interaction, the throwaway line from the Emperor and then the Kosh visit. And that is what we know about the Centauri is that they are a fading power who we know that they saw the humans as the up and coming race. And we know that they reached out to humanity to try to latch onto them to ride their coattails back to greatness, right? And so we have no reason to think that they weren't trying to do the same thing to the Vorlons because everybody seemingly thinks they're mysterious and is afraid of them, right? And the Vorlons, likewise, we know pretty much think they run everything just with impunity. They can do whatever they want. They don't give two shits what anyone else thinks. And so it's it's not 
actually that surprising when the emperor says yeah we've been trying to reach out to the warlands for a long long time and they keep blowing up our ships our, our dudes never come back you know they're trying to reach out and latch on to the biggest kid in the playground and and what are they gonna do get mad about it like <laughs> you know they're just gonna keep trying um clearly the vorlons just have no interest they have they have no interest in talking to the centauri they don't think much of them whatever what i think is super interesting that you could read into in this episode is the fact that we know the centauri emperor want to talk about later comes to babylon 5 with a very noble intent he's he's you've mentioned it he's going to break the cycle he's going to do something extraordinary and now for the first time in however many years kosh pays him a bit pretty cool that's pretty dope. Even if he does drop some super foreboding stuff on him at the very end, it's it's still like, here's your parting gift. You were going to do something good. You're going to get to look at a Vorlon. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up where the Centauri are. We got that line from Londo all the way back in the gathering, and I pulled it up. There was a time when this whole quadrant belonged to us. What are we now? Twelve worlds and a thousand monuments to the past glories living off memories and stories and selling trinkets my god man we become tourist attractions see the great centauri republic open nine to five earth time that's where they started on this show and now look where they're at not to mention better that, like worse. two episodes ago that somebody showed up to babylon 5 hawking centauri goods in the, yes. in the market yes emily okay i'm just wondering if we can switch gears for a minute and talk about how much of a dick sheridan was to jakar jakar at the beginning Please do. When Jakar was like, hey, are you really going to let him on here? And Sheridan was like, fucking suck it up, buttercup. I don't care. And I like, I was just like, really, dude? Like, he has a legitimate claim to be upset here. And you're just like, "Mm, I don't care. And there's no difference between lost or stolen land. Are you kidding me? Like, okay, it might have made sense, more sense back in the 90s, but, you know, perspective change from now. And I'm just like, yeah, wow, that was a dick move. I'm not a fan. I saw that in differently, though, because you've got a couple of things going on here. For the lifespan of Babylon 5, it's kind of been more or less a backwater thing that most people don't even care about. That's and right. this is this is Sheridan's opportunity to actually live up to the the, the 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 motto of the station, which is the last best hope for peace. And like, I get that. I just felt like it could have been handled, I don't know, better or with like more sensitivity. Yeah, I can see that. Just like, I acknowledge that you're upset. I acknowledge that, you know, they have harmed your people over centuries, like, but I'm kind of limited. I can't actually restrict them. It just, it felt like way too much assholery <laughs> the other thing too is i mean and I, I already mentioned this sheridan is the one who points out it wasn't this emperor now the centauri have not been good for 30 years don't get me wrong right but it was not this emperor who enslaved the narn it was actually this emperor who allowed the narn to end their revolution with freedom of course they'll argue that that wasn't the case but the emperor could have kept fighting the last fight and he didn't. John. I think to Emily's point, because I wholly agree, and I'm, I'm going to get to what Mike mentioned, the second part on the same kind of playing field is that it wasn't so much the message, right? So, so Sheridan's message of you have an opportunity to do something here amazing. That's great. It was just a shitty, quick dismissal and judgmental tone about Jakar going, well, I mean, by the way, they have basically you know, ruled us, killed us, done unspeakable acts to us for a hundred years. And the way Sherry just threw it away. 
the same way that my least favorite character was so smug and judgmental in his delivery about like, oh yeah, I guess you should have like, who are you, Franklin? I know you, you know who I'm talking about. Who are you to judge Jakar and his feelings about what's going like just the way he delivered it as if, why should you be so upset about this other civilization that has tormented and tortured you for a hundred years? So you should have been more open-minded. I, it, both of them just lack tact. And I'll stop because I'm, I'm hoping Michael jump in and, and back me up. <laughs> Kevin, what do you got? I was just going <clears> to <throat> defend Sheridan just a little bit. I, I wish that scene had been longer, but if when you watch that scene, you can see him try to say, okay, I get it, but you have an opportunity here and this station is about peace and he's coming in in the in that uh with that idea in mind and you're you're rejecting that so he he appeals to him on on you know the peace he appeals to him on a you have an opportunity and then when he just is so completely uh intractable about the entire situation finally yes he gets shitty with him um I wish the scene had been longer because it would have felt uh, a little bit more natural if he had gotten shitty with him, you know, deeper in, but it is only a, you know, 42 to 44 minute show. So um, yeah, I, I get what you guys are saying, but if, if that scene had been longer, imagine, imagine how much better it would have been. And we're also coming at it from our perspective of like 2023, not 19. 19- 90 whatever so I know that that plays into it but I was just so disappointed and how it just seems so quick to dismiss and the comment about there's no difference between lost or stolen land I get it and you know the the line of of uh Sheridan saying go to your quarters stick your fingers in your ears and hum real loud till it's over that would have been a lot funnier in a different context because it was a funny line but it felt kind of out of place in that in that scene yes very much mike what do you got i think kevin kind of nailed most of what i was going to say and it's the fact that yeah i mean i I, the thing to me that about this whole deal is it's so frustratingly accurate because i kind of see where all sides are coming from on it It, you know from sheridan's point of view it's like you guys signed up to the babylon 5 mission to to come here to talk and and do peaceful you know be peaceful not to throw temper tantrums just because somebody's going to set foot in your presence so him being an outsider you know completely unrelated to the centauri narin debacle but then at the same time being in charge of this mission and then being understandably frustrated when jakar doesn't want to go along with the mission that he perceives he you know signed up at the same time you know yeah i also absolutely thought that by the time that conversation ended that sheridan got a little <laughs> a little a little shitty about the whole thing it was a little juvenile and and, and insensitive to the way <laughs> to what the narn people have gone through and and how jakar really felt about it the franklin thing is frustrating to me because it's exactly in his character to come in and just be a super judgmental tool about it it, it, but it was also he, he had a lot less right to me to have that um attitude toward jakar like oh you you wanted to be mad at this guy well he came here to say you're sorry how dare you not know that like it was it was real bad to me did you all watch a different franklin jakar scene than i did is that what happened here is there like a different he was head? a dick dude n- not even close this is the best franklin scene we've gotten yet and here's why, I mean, Franklin's given a message from the emperor 
hey, I can't go talk to him because I'm here. And also he probably, you know, stab me if I go talk to him. Can you please tell him I came here to publicly apologize? And Franklin goes there and says, hey, Jakar, he has a message for you. You should probably go hear him out. That's it. And then Jakar becomes a whiny little baby. And so Franklin's like, look, this guy has made one choice in his entire damn life, and you are refusing to allow this potentially to happen. Franklin was being completely upfront with him, and I don't, I, I, I didn't see that scene anywhere near the way some of you were seeing it. I think this was Franklin's finest hour so far. I, I guess I need to rewatch it, but I really thought that Franklin came at Jakar with, with a real high and mighty attitude about... He did, because he had to. When I talked to my 12-year-old when she's being a little pain in the ass, I talked to her the same way. <laughs> it's the same way. <laughs> Yeah, but, but what you're missing is the key point that Mike mentioned that, that I also picked up on was Franklin's mad at Jakar for not knowing that the emperor came to apologize. Jakar and the Narn have nothing but history of let's just bullshit. And it's Franklin coming and saying, oh, you should go talk to this guy, which is just what he got from Sheridan, which is what we were talking about earlier. Another guy going, hey, you should go talk to this guy. And Jakar rightfully going, look, I don't have anything to say to him. Every time we talk to these motherfuckers, they, they backstab us. And Franklin, who has no skin in this game specifically, is, gets up on his high horse, puts the finger in Jakar's face, is like, yeah, well, guess what? He was going to apologize and you're a dick. That's how that shit came off. That's how that shit came off. He go fuck himself. Because <laughs> we've been so dogging on Franklin for literally a year now. <laughs> I, I, I pulled the quote. Uh, he says he wanted to say he's sorry. He came all the way out here, risked his health and endangered his life so that he could stand beside a Narn in neutral territory and apologize for all the things the Centauri have done to your people, for all the things his family did. He said, we, are, we were wrong. The hatred between our people can never end until someone is willing to say, I'm sorry, and try to find a way to make things right again to atone for their actions. He said it was the only choice he has ever made in his life, and now that seems to have been taken away from him. Uh, and then he says, now I'm sure uh, Jakar uh, says that he wasn't aware of that. And he says, no, I'm sure you didn't. Maybe that's the biggest tragedy of the whole damn story. The whole point is no one's willing to listen to anyone else no one's willing to make that change this emperor is finally saying i'm willing to step up yeah it's because i'm gonna die so it doesn't matter but i'm willing to step up and now jakar won't meet him halfway and franklin's pissed about it i think franklin's completely in the right here one thing that some nobody's brought up yet uh which i wanted to kind of bring up and discuss was at the very end you see delenn and you hear hello old friend and it's sinclair so because when Garibaldi said it, it shared and asked him who else knows about this, he said one other person. And I'm assuming that it was Delenn because it flipped flipped over to her watching the video. Hello, old friends. So I thought that was interesting that out of the people that he chose to contact, it was Garibaldi and Delenn. I mean, I guess it makes sense for Delenn because he's on Mimbar and he's working with the Mimbari and all that. Married. <laughs> yeah. And they're married. Um <laughs> So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I think that is going to be something that we see more of, uh, or, or it's going to, it's going to lead to the next level of the story. John. The other thing that the Ranger had mentioned, you know, we, we have multiple, what I took from that was there, there are people as in plural people on this station have been helping him and have been helping them. Um, so I take that. It's, I actually took it. It wasn't Delenn at first it's Delenn now. So there are others that we haven't like seen or come forward yet that have been helping the Rangers thus far. And that's the part to like questions. One of mine will be. Well, I'll answer right now for you, John, because it's, yeah. 
again, when you when you watch these first few episodes, you will see at least one ranger in the background. And so the whole point is they have been there, but now things are escalating because of what we see in this episode to where Sinclair and the Rangers have decided, okay, we can't just be in the shadows anymore, pun intended. We have to go ahead and let some high-ranking officials know that we're here so that when we are involved in what's going on, they don't get in our way. And I think that's the whole point. That's why he tells Garibaldi at the end, yeah, you can you can tell Sheridan, but the whole point is let us do our job. Real quick, because one of the other scenes that I was going to ask about so are you saying that Delenn was helping previously or is now helping previously? Because- I, I think I think from what, what you see here, the, the Rangers were there on their own accord doing their own thing. And now for the first time, because Garibaldi didn't, re- re- didn't know what was going on, although he recognized that this guy had been around. So for the first time, the leadership, at least some of them, and we now know two are being told what's going on. Okay. Cause I wondered, you know, the scene when Jakar goes to kill the emperor, Delenn's the one who like sees and moves over. And so when, when I first saw that, I thought, Oh, is this another like Minbari premonition or like she knew what was going on or was she just happened to look over at the right time, see Jakar being weird and went to go talk to him. So that was That's one that I was catch. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Interesting. I wrote that down too. Emily. So when, we first saw the ranger in this episode. Did anyone else like recognize the uniform as familiar and try to remember where what episode we saw it? Because at first I was like, I was trying to figure out. I'm like, is that Psychor? That's not Psychor. And then I was like, is it way back from the episode with the weird techno thingy where they could like change their appearance so they could like mimic being someone else? And it was like all that high tech crazy shit people. Well. Have you looked at our group picture? I was... <laughs> well, Kevin, Kevin, Blake I was and I, and Mike and I had a, had a long conversation about can Kevin be a ranger in our group picture because they haven't seen him yet, and we finally decided they don't know what they're looking at. Kevin can be a ranger, so you've seen the ranger outfit for quite some time. <laughs> no, I was. I didn't even honestly. I didn't pay attention to that. I was going to ask: is is that what Kevin was? <laughs> I. Sw- I was thinking, like, I was trying to place it in an episode because I was like, I swear we've seen this come up in something strange before. And I thought it was associated with people doing questionable things. Yes, I've been called strange before. That's fine. (laughs) But we legitimately had a rather lengthy conversation about can Kevin be a ranger in the damn group picture? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, none of you caught it. So I guess we made the right choice. You're assuming we actually pay that much attention to our group photo. (laughs) You're saying Rangers have been on the station this whole time and we've seen them before. So, I mean, are we saying that there's a paramilitary secret organization that wears a uniform that walks around unnoticed by everybody? Yes. Because with the Babylon 5 security that we've seen so far, I totally believe it. (laughs) They even have little emblems if you watch again. There is a ranger emblem. We got to give a shout out to the Emperor. I thought the actor, uh, Turin Bay, is is a 40s actor that was a a leading man for a long time. He, He was fabulous in this episode. And 
yeah. all of his dialogue and his the the scene between him and Sheridan where they're in the observation deck and, and they get into the conversation about you know him asking Sheridan how he got there why he chooses to be there etc it's it's just so good it's top-notch writing and, and and I just loved everything about the Centauri Emperor in this entire episode it's I'm I'm I was honestly knowing what would happen I was heartbroken again that like he dies in the episode and we don't get more of his character I would I would say the same thing about Malachi Throne playing the the Prime Minister. I yes. thought that, that was kind of tragic because he 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 shows up on Star Trek several different or a few different times uh, among other things, and I always thought he was very good in the stuff that he did too. But I mean, he's 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 even got less screen time than uh, than Turin Bay does in this episode, so it's a shame. But you know, if you want to check out his good work, uh, check out a couple of great Star Trek episodes. Blake, what do you got? It was on the Centauri Emperor because he actually auditioned for a different role. Um, he auditioned to play um, the Techno Maid, uh, Alrek, and they decided he was too nice of a guy. He couldn't pull that. off that menacing bit for Alrek, so they actually had him. Uh, JMS, they were also impressed with him. Like, we will write you something. We will find something for you to do. Uh, so they wrote the Centauri Emperor role and put him in that because uh, they were so impressed with him from his audition, even though he wasn't right for the uh, Techno Mage. Yeah, he had such a like a fatherly vibe. Yeah. Well, Michael and Sarah was so good in that role that I'm glad this is how it shook out. Mm -hmm. Well, worth noting, I believe this was Turin Bay's last production. Yes. Well, he he lived for quite a bit longer, but this was the final thing that he acted. That that scene between him and Sheridan on the observation platform deck, whatever you want to call it, it's a little rough to watch now because it is really bad chroma keyed with green screen. But the, that interaction with those two actors is extremely good. And talking about, as Nicole started out mentioning, the fear of the future, we get to have a little bit more of Sheridan's backstory. There's a lot of good acting in this episode. Emily, what do you got? The scene with the Emperor when he was supposed to be walking into the ceremony, gathering, reception, whatever you want to call it, and he fainted or mm -hmm. whatever. Ever. I was wondering if he faked it because he knew that they would try to assassinate him during the festivities, if that was a way to get out of it or if it was legit. Like, uh, you know, he's sick, so he could easily just be like, ah, uh, you know, if I kind of pass out because I'm in a dangerous spot here. I have been watching this show for 28 years from this episode, and I've never heard anyone or ever thought of that as an option. He knows that Prime Minister is shady. He knew the Prime Minister was plotting to kill him. Like well, not he... the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister is back home. Yeah, but he knew You're that talking Lord was plotting something. He didn't have to be on B5 to have him killed. We know that. You Hold on. So now you think the Prime Minister with it? The Prime Minister got off too. I know. I think he was. The, I, I think know. the Prime Minister <laughs> was plotting against the Emperor, thinking he could take over, not realizing he was about to get hit too. Did Did, did Justin and Nicole indoctrinate you into the Ten Foil Hat Society? Is that what's going? on I was going to say, Emily, do you need Do you need to nope, borrow my? It's yard? a power grab. It's That's a power grab. <laughs> it's a conspiracy to take out the conspiracy theorists. I don't see it. I think he had a heart attack, and that's it. And the Prime Minister, the the, the you could. And, and to Kevin's point, we don't get many scenes with the prime minister. We get two, but you can see their friendship and you can see the prime minister's concern. Like he knows his friend is not coming back. 
And they both share that moment. I was like, no, this dude's lying. He's fucking got it out for the emperor. How do you live with that black heart, Emily? How do you live? (laughs) Well, I've made it this far. (laughs) John, we got. Well, first of all, I definitely did not read that at all, Emily. In fact, (laughs) um, and I like to have a nice black heart. I mean, I've earlier tried to slightly, you know, adjacently say the genocide's not so bad. Having said that, I, I read that as complete to the actor's credit for the emperor and the prime minister as the first scene was very touching. Both of them knew I'm not coming back. And and uh, and I thought that was that was fantastic. I did want to switch gears one more time. I thought about saving it for the questions, but I, I, I want to hear other people's thoughts on it. So one of the things with Londo and his choice that I guess I don't want to say confuse me, but makes me wonder what his motives are. Right. So he he does this ostensibly because again, Reefer Shithead is like, hey, give this speech and we'll set it up. Basically, the emperor's going to die soon anyways, he's old, and then we'll be able to slide into power. Now, he has his vision of him be- himself being the emperor. So my question is, did he always want to be the emperor? If he didn't, did he, his line about being in the, you know, uh, behind the scenes and you get basically the same thrill with the, the less risk, is he really doing all of this just to, to be what some young emperor or some other guys like right hand, like what is he actually gaining out of this that he didn't already have? Even after the first time, right? He now is in favor with the Centauri people. He, the emperor clearly loves him, got him a couple of divorces. The people clearly they've given him all the credit for what's just happened. So he's gotten what I think is the max amount of positivity out of the first attack. I don't understand. And maybe this is where I'm hoping people can fill in or what their thoughts are. What's his motivation behind this one? My feeling on this, and I'm speaking just to what you guys have seen, is I think we already had this answer. I think it was born to the purple, I think. Rolando just says that his only goal is to make the Centauri people a republic again that is in charge of the galaxy or in charge of a much larger swath of the galaxy than what they are now. I don't think it matters to Londo, even right now, if he's in charge or not. It just matters on if his people are in a stronger position than what they are now. And I think he's kind of telegraphed that throughout the show so far. So that's how I read it, is he doesn't need to be on the court like Veer asked, why didn't you get yourself put on the court? He doesn't care about that. What he cares about is he doesn't want the Centauri people to be a joke anymore. Yeah, he wants to rebuild an empire. Well, to that end then, why this half measure? So he has basically the nuclear option Right now, he's got more than he's got the shadows. He can unleash that. I mean, he could have told Captain Dickhead, hey, by the way, I got the shadow armor. Like, what I'm saying is he keeps playing it like, leave it to me, I'll take care of it. Go full bore in it then, right? Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. If you want to put the Centauri people up. I mean, if you want to believe that Londo still is somewhat of a moral individual, he's killing himself by a death of a thousand cuts here. He's trying not to go all the way, but every time he has a choice to make, he's making the wrong choice. Aha. So he is good and he will come back. And Londo is not lost. You are are really, really grasping there. And the fact that you continue to dig this hole. Delusional. It amazes me. And I got to tell you, it amazes a lot of our audience because we get comments a lot about cool that john still thinks londo's the good guy that's cool he's power hungry and he's he takes every chance he gets he takes it so dude just keep you're on your way out 
but he's not, but that's what I'm saying. If he was power hungry, he would take the throne for himself. If he was a win, if he was a win at all costs, like the Centauri win at all costs, he would just tell Morden to, to take out all these people, put us back, literally just take back everything we've lost in the last hundred years. But he's not because he still has goodness in him. There is still that gray. It's not just black and white that I want to do good things. We've seen him do good things before. We've seen him make good choices. We've seen him be compassionate. We've seen him. We just saw it a couple episodes ago. He picked the wife that he should have. There's goodness in there. It's like a, it's like a peanut M&M. I just got to get through that shell and just go to Londo and just let him know it doesn't have to be like this, baby. Just listen to Veer. He won't steer you wrong. But remember, I mean, we, it's like, it's like the, a Christmas carol. We've had two ghosts so far. We've had the prophet and signs and portents, and we've had the techno mage and they keep telling the same thing. You keep making damn bad choices and you're going to continue to make bad choices. And what do we see every time he's making bad choices and the worst part and the most damning part for you, John, on this one, the choices are becoming easier for him. Every time he goes to Morden, it's easier. The first time he hemmed and hawed. Well, actually, the first time it was a mistake. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah do what you need. The second time he's like, eh, do I? Do I not? This time he's like, hey, Veer, go get Morden. It's time. Mm-hmm. It was worse than that. It was like, man, Rifa was like, we need we need to do something to show power. And Orlando's like, hmm, mass murder. Yeah, I have I have a way to fix this. It's becoming easier. And that's, I mean, that's the that's the highway to hell, right? It becomes easier the deeper you get. Jesse. And would he would he have chosen not to be the emperor if he hadn't have seen that vision of him getting killed by Jakar? Like the only let's be very clear, the only reason he didn't choose or ask to be mm. put on the royal court was because he knows that if he does that, that's a prophecy and he's gonna die. That's so, an interesting take too. Yeah. I, I that's interesting that, you know, maybe he's not as selfless as he looks like maybe it's just like, shit, if I know I'm on that chair, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Nicole. And speaking of the prophecy and that, one thing that I want to know, the hand, the big hand, it's like a hand in the sun or something like that. What the fuck is that all about? The techno mage <laughs> told you about that hand, didn't he? I see a great hand reaching out. Oh, okay. I love rewatching this show. I, I was going to throw this out later, but you know, Scott mentions a rewatch, and you mentioned the hand. Rewatch this episode and and think about the Vorlon's comment. How does it end in fire? Mm-hmm. You've got the hand reaching out of a ball of fire, and when you see the older Jakar and older Londo, you've got this red and orange light. Yes. Rewatch the episodes. Yeah. Okay. There's a reason why a bunch of us nerds rewatch this sucker so many times, and I'm look. I'm honestly. I, and I thank you guys. Once we get all the way to the end, you're going to probably do it. I look forward to you all watching this again and sticking around for the beyond the rim <laughs> and actually listening to what we discuss because a second viewing opens up so many possibilities. So many. Scott, I'm a little bit worried if our friends, you know, do that again and watch the beyond the rim, they're going to hate us more than they do now. Well, at that point, I don't have to have them here every Sunday. So we're fine. Well, good. I mean, okay, they're good they're off the hook. They can hate me all they want. They don't have to record anymore. Emily, the telepaths yeah. for the emperor that felt very next gen. Yes, it did. Yes, and the fact that they leave two on the home world and two at B five quantum entanglement. Yeah. Much. I was wondering if they are trustworthy. My goodness, you are on a conspiracy track tonight. <laughs> no, he's a dying emperor. People are going to have it out for him because people well, are. Well, Lord Rifa does absolutely. Lord Rifa does well. Yeah, so, and I uh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't like him. 
Yeah. Well, but to that point, like I, that was one of the things I was just talking about was that if they're telepaths, right? So <clears throat> Lando lies about what the emperor told him, but the telepaths were there. So my assumption is they got the real message because the way Lando looks at them as they walk away, mm-hmm. like, yep. oh, <laughs> maybe that ship don't make it back. Maybe he makes another call to Morden real quick. Hey, uh, I got some loose ends. I need you to clear up. Although if they're telepaths, the other people on the other side already got it. Those bitches are shady. Yeah, especially with their faces covered and you can't see the expressions going on. I don't know. I thought humans, I thought Earth were the only ones that had telepaths. No, we know the Minbari do because they took that one girl with them. Right, but that was a human, right? Yes, that's true. But but the Minbari, yeah, and we knew the Centauri have had telepaths before. We've seen Um, one in the show. Yeah. And then the Narns used to have telepaths. Jakar said that we used to have telepaths and we don't anymore. Yeah. Okay. And Maybe Delenn, that's just throwing me off. Delenn specifically said people like you on, on our home world yeah. Yeah. go into this line of work or whatever. So, yeah. Okay. So we know at least the major races do, except for the Narns. I think that was just throwing me off because I just remember Jakar trying to fuck Talia so hard. Yeah, because, and he said, he's, and I don't remember the actual line, but he, he's, he said, and actually he said to Lita first in the gathering was, we used to have telepaths and we need them back because we're yeah. at a disadvantage because we don't have telepaths. Gotcha. Okay, let's go ahead and end this with questions and predictions. So again, our newbies are going to ask any lingering questions they may have about what they saw and then predict what they think is going to come next. And then we are going to eject them out the airlock and answer all those questions and predictions for them in the Beyond the Rim segment after uh, our credits. Let's go ahead and go to Jesse first. Questions and predictions. I want to know why Emperor didn't have his hair. If it's part of him, if it's part of, like, we've heard that that's part of him, why did he not have any? It made me think he was human at first. Um, and then I still, I'm not still 100% sure about that, but I would have guessed not. Um, but he just had, like, a, a wig. And I can actually, wear. I, I feel like I can, I, I, I dodged John's question about this a few weeks ago, but I feel now you guys watch this episode, I can get into more detail. For Moses Centauri, their hair is their real hair. It's a hairstyle and it's what they wear and women shave their heads except for the ponytail for most of them in the back. What's happening here is it's just showing you that the emperor is growing old and he's lost his hair. And so in order to keep the symbol of being a centare, he wears the wig. But at this point he is showing the audience in that first scene. I don't give a shit anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, I also want to know what happened to Jakar in the prophecy and the vision. Um, he's got some stuff on his face and I'm going to guess it's battle, but, um, I, you know, I would like to know exactly what led that to him to look like that. Yeah. And it's going to be a fun few years for you. (laughs) My predictions. I don't know. I hope that we see Sinclair again. I'm going to guess that we don't. And I've said this before and I was wrong the first time. So maybe I'm wrong the second time, but it was really nice to see him. Some good hair too. Didn't he? He had like Mm -hmm. that long, like. Look good on him. He looked great. He looked healthy. Um, it makes me sad for the story that was behind it. Yeah, and and to Blake's point, he already said JMS promised Michael O'Hare when they had the conversation when he left. If you go get treatment and you get you know well, we'll find a way to get you back. Mm-hmm. And he came back. 
I like it. Mm -hmm. So it says a lot about Michael O'Hara as well as the character of Sinclair too. Yeah. Let's go to Emily next. Questions, predictions. I really want to know how many more people Londo's going to kill. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's really starting to rack up the numbers and it's concerning. What the Techno Mage say? I hear the sound of billions of voices and Londo yeah, says, my followers, something. your victims. A little more. Because, you know, there's one billion and then there's like 20 billion. You know, like, just how bad does he get? And then I'm still not clear on why these shadow beings want to be involved in, like, this realm's stuff. Like, do they want the space? Do they want rid of them? Like, what is their motivation for being murderous bastards? That's yeah. a good question. It's a good question. John, questions, predictions. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so I had the same questions uh, that they had in terms of <laughs> the hair was a big one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Centauri statue that we see very briefly as, as, as Warden um, has the hair like a male, breasts like women, and the tentacles like a man. Yes. Have we already talked about that? That is Lee, the goddess of passion. Yeah, Lee. You met her first in Parliament of Dreams. Mm-hmm. And then he and also the showed him, on her back. Yeah, and, yep. And he also showed the same statue to Lanier when Lanier was asking what the hell was that when they were playing poker. So you've seen Lee at least twice before. That part I reckon it, but I guess what I wasn't putting the the male female like having all of it as one. So it's a, a Satari god is what I'm Yep. Thinking. She is the god of passion, I guess, fertility. So she is androgynous. She has both parts. I assume she doesn't go out much. <laughs> I mean, would you? I don't know. <laughs> now, how many of you, now that you brought up the, the Lee statue, how many of you are watching uh, Londo's quarters now that you know what statue Peter stole? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely in general just looking in the background now. And, uh, and I guess it would be weird if she said she threw her back out and take on a whole new meaning. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, so question. I assume it was a Narn station, but the station in the vision that blows up, uh, will we see exactly what that is? Because I don't recognize it, but it looked Narn-like when we've seen the other outposts. Maybe. Okay, awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to Emily's prediction or question as well, I have the same, like, and I asked it previously too, these shadow people, they have this unlimited power. They have, they can, essentially, it seems like they're almost like the Vorlons in that they can do anything. So why are they not doing anything? Unless it's the Vorlons or who are the only ones that can keep them in check. Because again, Sinclair says, stay close to the Vorlons. In which case, are they scared of the Vorlons? Are they, are they the actual natural like enemies? Like the Vorlons have been around forever. The shadow people have been around forever. That's really going to be the war. And everyone else is kind of get caught up in the middle of it. Um, so Lots of questions with the shadow people where the shadow, what do you call them, Nicole? The crazy fuck spiders or some shit like that? Crazy murder spider ships. <laughs> we really yeah. need to make a shirt of that. Was it important that Sinclair deliberately mentions the president not knowing about his mission? And was he talking about the old president or the current president? That one you might be able to answer now. The, which president he was talking about. I would assume that it's the current president because Sinclair wasn't removed from B5 until after Santiago was killed. So he didn't have that job with Santiago. Okay, because that kind of led to my next question, which was, did Sinclair know about this before he left B5? So it was, I mean, I know we know the background of it, but like in the show, are they going to address or talk about, did Sinclair leave B5? Because his old lady, Delenn, maybe have let slip, you know, one 
he laying that pillow talk. Oh, by the way, these big creepy spider fucks are coming. Oh, okay, cool. I'll go to Minbar and, and do this. So did he know that when he took the reassignment? And maybe is that why he took the reassignment? Predictions, uh, I've talked about it a little bit. Like I said, what I think maybe the Narn and the Whisper people are going to be. Um, here's a prediction I know is going to come true. I'm going to keep standing for Londo until he literally does <laughs> something even worse, which I don't know how much worse it can get, but short of him killing Veer, I think I might be Team Londo a little bit longer. Um, otherwise, my, my other prediction is that uh, this show is just going to keep getting more and more incredible and that the acting is now um, you know, being caught up with the writing and it's a good meld that I am excited for uh, the rest of this season uh, and seasons to come. I know we continue to say it and we've kind of said it probably more than we should have, but the show continues to get better and we continue to say it's getting better. And you are to a point now where there are literally two episodes left that are written by people who are not JMS until we get to one episode in season five. So, you know, it's kind of like the X-Files. You had the lore episodes and the episodes of the week. We're about to get to 100% lore episodes pretty darn quick. And if you thought like a few lore episodes sprinkled into season one and season two were nice, just wait, just wait. Andrew, what do you got? Questions, prediction? Yeah, so three questions. Tuan, who is the new Centauri Emperor? I feel like that could be important. In my notes, I guess I kind of started assuming that the Great War was referring to this war between the Centauri and the Narn. So I guess my qu actual question is how long will the narn centauri war last and then kind of going back to what everyone else has been asking uh, aside from being londo's glorified hitmen how are the, the shadows playing into all this cool do you have any predictions no okay justin questions prediction uh questions are um really just one question are the vorlons more like marvel's watchers I kind of get that feeling that Kosh seems if if Kosh isn't my favorite character in the show, he's at least the most interesting character to me. And I think the Vorlon, and he seems to be kind of a harbinger of death sometimes too. So I I have a feeling that the Vorlon may and it may play into whole the Sinclair thing by staying by him saying stay close to the Vorlons. The Vorlons may be just watchers. They their whole purpose is to observe record and cannot interfere and that would make a lot of sense to me um in terms of how they behave throughout the throughout the show um, so that was, unless they're nuking death walker that was yeah in that one instance where he literally saved the galaxy with one shot so yeah yeah um at least he aims well <laughs> yeah but the um in terms of predictions I think this Narn Centauri War is the shot in Sarajevo, uh, if you will. Probably the catalyst uh, for, if not the Great War, the catalyst for it. I think the EA under uh, Hare Clark uh, will probably find some way to take advantage of the situation, if not siding with one side or the other, because I don't see them doing that, then at least um, trying to find a way to take advantage of the war to increase their own power and prestige in the galaxy. So that's all I got. With the one term, Hare Clark, you are just snatching that tinfoil hat away from Emily right there. I love it. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone else notice that Jesse, the I hate everything, was like, ooh, a watcher. I can see that. I love Marvel. So listen, <laughs> while I hate a lot of sci-fi shit, uh, Marvel really is uh, one of my sweet spots. She's all about it. But you get what I'm saying it. now, right? You see mm -hmm. it. You see yeah. it. She was nodding her head the whole time. She's like, I got that reference. I know what. <laughs> 
the Vorlons missed the first time in Deathwalker. That's right. He took two shots. <laughs> Nicole, questions, predictions. Okay, so questions. What did Sinclair tell Delenn? I want to know. My other question, what is Kasha's role? I mean, stay close to the Vorlon. What does that mean? Um, are they the only ones who can supersede this shadow fucks? Or I just want to know more about that. Also, what are the shadow fuckers? Like, Morden seems human, right? But maybe he could be an alien who looks like a human. Are the shadow people aliens? Are they humans? And why is Morden in charge of them? Who the fuck is Morden and who gave him authority? So I just have so many questions about them. You need a chain um, of command. You need the flow chart of the shadows. Yes, I want the flow for. chart. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, prediction wise, I, I hope we see Sinclair again. So I'm going to predict that we do see him again, at least a couple times. And then I also predict that this uh, conflict with Jakar and Londo is going to keep it's going to keep boiling over. Uh, I think it's going to continue. I don't think they're going to be able to come back. I forgot who said it. That the Narn and um, Centauri War is the catalyst of the Great War. I definitely agree with that. I think that it's just the beginning. And I almost kind of think of it as like, obviously, it's not a world war because there's galaxies involved and like what, but like, I feel like this is going to be kind of the tipping point. And then there's going to be more conflict with other people. And then it's all going to come to a head at the very end. Um, and that will be the Great War. It's kind of what I'm predicting. I'm gonna I'm gonna mansplain for a minute. There's only one galaxy, Nicole, in the show. Just well, one. Y- you know what I mean. <laughs> Planets, races, fucking um, aliens. Actually, um, actually, but you know what I mean. Like, although I think, they like, do keep talking about quadrants, and there's definitely in this show more than four quadrants, which doesn't make sense. But yeah, whatever. But what I was trying to say was like, I think it's gonna be not just a Narn Centauri thing. No. I think that everybody's gonna get involved, and I think either the Vorlons are gonna shut it down, save the day, or I, I don't know. I but I think eventually it's gonna be everybody against the shadow assholes. So we either got Kosh is a watcher or he's Mighty Mouse. A little bit of both, I think, honestly. I I think that the fact that we saw him kill the Death Walker and he just took took shit into his own hands. But I do see the watcher connection, too. I think that that is a really great analogy because I feel like he we saw him in one episode, too, taking in like all those things that happened on Earth. And he told was it Sinclair that he was studying the history of earth. So I feel like he is almost arming himself with as much knowledge as possible for all of the races involved. So whatever does happen or the next step is taken, I think the Vorlons will be prepared and and understand and know kind of who they're working with or who they're helping or who they're thrown under the bus. In either case, Deus Ex Vorlon. So we mentioned the Death Walker a lot. I mean, remember what he says, the reason he did it. He just told everyone that was standing there, you're not ready for immortality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seems like everybody kind of forgot that there was an implied battle between Kosh and Morden. He uh, got his uh, encounter on. suit dented. <clears throat> yep. Oh, that's true. I did forget about that. Yeah. Rewatches are fun. That is a thing that had done happened. Well, you just wait till we have our gray 18 podcast and now we're the first ones. <laughs> and we're yeah. all fucking gray <laughs> at that point. We are gray. We stand between the candle and the Dude, I'm, John, so. I'm already gray as hell, so I'm already this there. Okay, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up our time here with the newbies. So if you are joining us for the first time and have not watched Past the Coming of Shadows, go ahead and leave after the credits, but make sure you hit that like, subscribe, notify button, or 
uh, any other button that may be on your app of choice to make sure you continue to follow us as we continue to watch all of season two. We'll go ahead and move into our credits. And then Mike, Kevin, Blake, and I will come back to answer all these questions once the newbies can't hear it. So until next week, when we talk Gropos, I've been Scott and with me has been Blake, Emily, Justin, John, Jesse, Kevin, Mike, Andrew, and Nicole. Thanks everybody. And we will see you next week. There be shadows coming. Dun, dun, dun. This is the hardest episode not to keep watching more. Yeah. I know. I was like, Same. You, you just wait, man. When you get to seriously, when you get to the end of this season and season three and four, you're going to be so pissed that you have to hit the stop button. I'm telling you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is the spoiler section. So we are going to talk about all those questions, predictions, and newbies had. So if you have not watched Babylon 5 past this point, or if you just don't remember what you watched, this may be a time where you want to step off. But let's dive into the questions first, guys, and let's talk about that vision first. So the first question is, why does Jakar look very injured in Londo's vision? And what is the station blowing up in the vision? So the vision, I mean, as far as Jakar looking injured, that's going to come out into fruition with the Cartesia storyline when Jakar gets captured and ends up actually helping Londo assassinate Cartesia. But one of the things Cartesia does is because he wants Jakar to scream. And, you know, we've talked about JMS's book and there were some of those pieces we referenced back to this. I think one of the stories in there, Scott, was um, his father beating him, wanting him to scream, which gets into that same storyline with the torture that Jakar went through. And ultimately, when Cartesia couldn't get him to scream, says, I don't like the way he looked at me and plucked his eye out. So we see that then in the older Jakar uh, in this episode. Well, and maybe you could um, explain, because I don't remember why. So he gets uh, an artificial eye. Mm hmm. And then he clearly is missing one again 20 years in the future. So what's what's behind that? Because I don't remember. I don't we think don't they know. ever explained what happened to the artificial eye. I know there was a few references throughout the series where he said it itched. Okay. Uh, so, but there's also the, you know, if we want to get into maybe what happened to it, and this is conjecture, is think about when Sheridan and Delenn got married and went off on their honeymoon on the White Star. And you've got this scene that is Londo and Jakar sitting there having a drink, basically saying, I wonder what's happening in there. And Jakar does not have his eye in. Yeah. Because he planted it in their bedroom. So knowing Jakar, he left it in some hooker's room somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, we also know that Jakar's adventures do continue on. Uh, there's a lot of beta canon that I have not read, uh, but we know that he does do some 
adventures. He shows up in the uh, Legend of the Rangers show, and he was going to be in that more. He does some adventures with Lita. Uh, so, you know, he may just lose yeah, it does. sometime. Sexy adventures. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many more deaths will Londo's actions lead to? Literally well, billion. We when we didn't answer the station blowing up, oh. part, it's, it's a random Narn station. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, how many deaths will Londo's actions lead to? Literally billions. The Technomage wasn't lying because this war is, and this is something that they talk about later in the questions and the predictions. This is the catalyst of the Shadow War. The 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 shadows are working to get the other races to fight each other to make it easier to figure out who is the fittest to survive. Well, so this is all part of the Shadow War. As as much as I hate to you know pull a John here and defend Londo's actions because his, his actions definitely led to these deaths. But I think you could argue they would have happened anyway. If Londo told Morden to fuck off and had nothing to do with him and didn't do this, the shadows would have found another way. The conflict would have still happened mm-hmm. one way or the other. It would have been different circumstances. Someone else would have ended up on the flip side of it. You'd still have billions dead. Yep. Yep. He's definitely an unwilling accomplice, but he's still an accomplice. I mean, yeah. somebody, somebody was going to be the trigger man no matter what. I see your point totally, yeah. and it just happened to be Londo. And Morden, and Morden says that at the end of Signs and Portents, when he gives Londo the eye, he says, "I found what I was looking for. You found a patsy." Mm-hmm. Are the sh- shadows scared of the Vorlons? Well, they're certainly in conflict with them. They have been in the past. They will be again. They absolutely are. They, they, the Vorlons are scared of the shadows too, because they know that they both are at equivalent tech and they're at equivalent power. So they know that they're the only two species on the face of the galaxy that can go toe to toe with each other, which is why they leave each other alone. Mm-hmm. They also know that they both have fucked up reasons for doing this. The Vorlons want to control evolution and control how the species work, and the Shadows want to control evolution by causing chaos. So they're the yin and the yang of this whole thing, and they're both wrong, which is what we find out when Sheridan finally tells them both to get the hell out of our galaxy. They're both wrong. Why aren't the Shadows doing more since they seem to have rather limitless power? Oh, they're doing plenty, and they're going to do a lot more. Yeah, and their power isn't limitless, but no, it's, it's not. Like like we just said, they're they're probably on even keel with the Vorlons and Well and it it's the proxy war thing. I mean, how many times did us and the Soviets get pissed with each with each other in the Middle East? Um, mm-hmm. through different sides that we would back into conflicts. I mean, you had Afghanistan, you had other countries. So you've got the the Vorlons and the Shadows manipulating all these other res- all these other races to have this fight for them at this point um the rest the of the universe just, people- yeah and the uh, shadows don't want people to know they're there yet yeah. yeah and i know this is a question that comes up a little later on i think but this is also the reason why the rangers and delin and the vorlons are keeping quiet too they don't want the shadows to know that they're on to them yet the shadows don't want everyone to know that they've returned they want to be in the quiet. They want to be quiet and let other people do their bidding. And on the flip side, the quote unquote army of light does not want anyone to know that they know the shadows have returned yet because they don't want a hot war right now. They want a cold war. Mm. Uh, are the Vorlons akin to the watchers from the Marvel universe? 
No. Not really. And in fact, the exact opposite. They meddle and interfere a lot more than we've seen yet. Yeah. They're the reason why all the species had telepaths. They created them to fight the shadows. They're the, the reason very, why. They're very hands-on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's I, their that's their shtick. I can see why someone would think that at this point mm-hmm. in the show, for mm-hmm. sure. They yeah. seem like they're just watching, but they're definitely not. Yep. Agreed. Did Sinclair know about the shadows when he left Babylon 5, uh, or did he only find out after he arrived on Minbar? I don't think he knew very much before he left, and I think he learned a lot when he got to Minbar. Anyone have anything about about yeah, that? That's the best guess we can offer, I feel, at this point. Yeah. yeah. yeah if, he, nothing... if he learned anything about them, he got it in a memo along with his like plane ticket to Midbar. Yeah. So. I, right. there's some, I believe there's some stuff in the comic books like Garibaldi encountered a shadow vehicle on Mars and all that good stuff. But when we're actually just watching the show itself, there's nothing in season one that leads us to believe that he left for any other reason other than he was called over to Minbar to be an ambassador because pretty much Clark didn't want him there. And Clark wanted somebody else there as well and And, found that Sheridan was helpful to that, or at least could be helpful to that. And Minbar and the Minbari probably very much wanted him. Yeah, they want to keep him close. Right. And it was a good way for Clark to get rid of him too. So it kind of worked out. Both and what we'll find with the Rangers, at least to begin with, most Mimbari are not fans of the Rangers either. And in fact, it said so here. The, the Rangers said, we're, or actually, I think it was Sinclair said, we're a group of humans in Mimbari, mostly human. Who is helping the Rangers on Babylon 5? I think it's just other Rangers. We don't seem to have any evidence to suggest that there's other people prior to this episode, you know, helping the Rangers on Babylon 5. Now, you know, they're going to be known to both Garibaldi and Delenn, but prior to that, there doesn't seem to be any other evidence. Uh, Well, at this point, there's not. But the the episode later where Sheridan gets introduced to the Rangers and there's a whole room full of people on B5 who have helped and assisted in that. So at this point, no, you're right. We've not seen that. But I think you can infer that there is a network on B5 of individuals who are aware of the Rangers, who help them in and out. Um, We've seen Rangers in the background of a couple scenes already. So clearly there's a network on the station helping these people in and out and doing things. Mm -hmm. Nobody at the top brass. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they've probably got dark dock workers. We saw the one guy who was helping Garibaldi smuggle pasta in and all that, that those are the kind of folks that are helping the Rangers out right now, usually probably with some grease uh, fingers while they're at it as well too. But now Sinclair feels it's time to bring in the leadership at least some leadership because this is escalating well and with the dock workers it would make sense because i mean you think back to season one with the uh episode where sinclair broke the strike and took care of the dock workers it would make sense that you know if they got a hello old friend message saying i need something from the dock workers and i don't need anybody to know they're gonna do it that's a good point uh what did sinclair tell delenn probably much the same thing he is his other message to Garibaldi would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, Delenn may not have been particularly aware of their, of their, although there's no way, there's no way she could have missed their uniforms and not had some idea. She may have even, you know, possibly been inquiring who knows, but um, it's nice that you, you have um, an unsaid, 
conversation between the two of them and they didn't go too much into it because you could have ruined that moment by that. I think it was nice the way they shot it. Yeah, and it's also a matter of you only got 45 minutes for an episode. We right. saw what Sinclair said. Yeah. He said I definitely, I definitely don't think she said anything to the effect of hello, husband, or <laughs> no, hello, or, I old guess, friend. hello, wife, whatever. <laughs> and we will hear hello, old friend again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? what is, oh, good. What are the shadows? Assholes. And, and why is Morton in charge of the shadows? Well, he's, he's not. not. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's their chief agent. Uh, in you know at Babylon Five, and they're one of their chief chaos agents, but mm-hmm. he's not in charge. But the shadows are an older race that um, Scott said it best. They they want to sow chaos in the universe, and um, that's 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 their idea of evolution. And the Vorlons have a different way. Yeah, you know, someone else they- wrote it or asked the question. You know, who is Morden? What is Morden? Et cetera, et cetera, uh, and. We've kind of talked about that before, but, you know, basically, Morden may or may not still be human. He's definitely some kind of a meat puppet. And we will meet Morden's associates more when we get to Zaha Doom. So they'll get answers here quicker than they think. So is the Narn's entire war the Great War uh, that is teased during the opening credits? So again, as I kind of already alluded to, yes and no. The, the, the Great War is multiple fronts. You've got the Narn Centauri conflict. You've got the Earth Civil War, which will be coming, but it's all sown by the Shadows and their their partner. Now, of course, before the Earth Civil War ends, the Shadows will have left the galaxy, but we're still reaping their rewards of what they caused. But it's all interconnected with what the Shadows are trying to do, which again, as Kevin just mentioned, is trying to find out who is the fittest races. If you survive this conflict, you will be stronger. If you do not survive the conflict, the galaxy will be stronger in your absence. The end. Uh, and that's kind of the interesting part with this war that we've seen in the series is it's almost a fight to a stalemate. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way it's intended to be. Mm-hmm. And it's Sheridan who breaks that when he shows up back from Zaha Doom and says, we can end this not just for the next thousand years, but forever. Yes. So, that's, you know, yeah. he changes the dynamic of the history of this conflict. Well, and this is what I love about this episode. This is that that's the overarching theme that I was trying to hit on a little bit with this is no one right now is willing to break that cycle. Jakar is told to do it by Franklin, but by the time all of this happens, Jakar is in a darker place than what he was. The Emperor tried, but failed because his heart failed him. Londo is not in a place where he's willing to do that yet. But all of these characters will get to a place where they finally decide, okay, I've had enough of this bullshit. Sheridan will have enough of it. Jakar will have enough of it. And Londo will have enough of it. We're just not there yet. So let's move into predictions. John says that he's going to keep standing with uh, Londo until he can't anymore well he's got to have a long road ahead of him the one thing and this is a good point to bring up even londo's characteristics shift as we get deeper into the show and what i love about this episode and they just didn't plan for it when they did this when they filmed the scene uh of him having the vision where he's standing and seeing the shadow ship overhead he's wearing his purple jacket well as he gets to be a darker character he literally puts on a dark cloak and so they have to make the joke that the laundromat screwed up and messed up his jacket (laughs) so he puts on the old purple one again so the flashback is 
perfectly aligned. I just love how they have to write themselves out of some of these little corners when they're planning ahead like this. <laughs> but along with that, I mentioned to the newbies that JMS usually doesn't tell people what's coming next. He absolutely told Peter uh, when they were filming Chrysalis, what is happening in that scene between him and Jakar. He told Peter, this is not Jakar coming to assassinate you. This is not Jakar coming to have vengeance on you. This is your friend coming to get you out of the final situation that you got yourself into. And he's helping you to finally escape. And also in doing so, helping Sheridan and Delenn escape as well too. So Peter knew that when they filmed that scene. Andreas did not because he's only in there for a second. But Peter knew how to act. And if you watch it again, knowing all that, uh, you can see in basically his eyes that he's... He's not scared to see Jakar. See, the, another prediction, the Vorlons are a key to the situation with the shadows, and there's a connection between them. Yep, they're the yin and the yang again. The Vorlons want to evolve through control, and the shadows want to evolve through crisis, and they're both petulant children who have just been playing in a toy box for millennia. And we'll, we'll see that even more uh, when they get kicked out of the galaxy. They ask, uh, will you come with us? Will we be alone? They're children. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Vorlons are gathering information for, uh, for all the races to help in the war. No, but yes. This is where the time loop really comes into play and what I, I, I love about War Without End. You've got Kosh, and you've got other Kosh, and you've got all the rest of the Vorlons. Our Kosh is very much aware of how this is going to go up until when Sinclair goes back in time and is trying to get all the pieces to move into place. And as we see now... Moving forward, he will ingratiate himself more with Sheridan and become a father figure for Sheridan to an extent. And doing so, Kosh will also see Sheridan as more of a son. So right now, he's more of a watcher, per se, while also playing around in the sandbox. But he's going to get himself more involved in the process. Whereas in the rest of the Vorlons, just see this as, again, more of the same. Is the shadows show up? We get the races to knock them down, and we move on to the next little cycle. Yeah, it's a big chess match. Mm -hmm. But again, going, I, I keep harping on this point because it's the theme I like the most. Kosh is also one who decides to change things, and the Vorlons don't appreciate it, and other Kosh doesn't appreciate it, and that becomes a whole other thing. What's Delin say to Kosh? If you're going to do it, do it now, and he shows himself. One of the newbies said that they didn't think the Vorlons were supposed to interfere, almost like they had a prime directive but um i think the vorlon uh, i don't know how to put it but the the race as a whole have certain unwritten rules about when and where they interfere and clearly kosh goes the first kosh goes outside of that a few times um and it seems like there's some unwritten rules between the shadows and and the vorlons about how they're allowed to interfere too that uh you know kosh broke and it led to his his death but uh they don't i don't think they really have that per se it is interestingly at odds that you know the vorlons are really all about interfering it, it, up to a point they they kind of have this weird thing where they're they're more than happy to go manipulate genetics but then they don't want to get their hands dirty yeah well i think mike you just hit on what i was going to say it's i think with the vorlons it's not interference it's manipulation mm -hmm. they manipulate the other races to do what they want and they demand obedience in it you know they expect the other races to do what they want done and they manipulate them to get them there mm -hmm. yeah and we'll see too i mean 
this is absolutely a cold war between the shadows and the vorlons but when the vorlons finally get pissed off they actually start wiping out other races and other planets just to make sure that the shadows don't get what they want as well too so even the vorlons go even one step farther when they're they're pushed there will be other conflicts and it will all come to a head that will lead to the great war eventually it will be everyone against the shadows not everyone <laughs> yeah. no and in fact it won't even be all the earthlings right the earth civil war continues on past the shadow war and yeah I, one of the things i love the most is when franklin and marcus go to mars and the folks on mars didn't even know there was a shadow war because they kept it quiet on earth they're like they didn't even know we fought this great war to save the galaxy they don't even know it happened <laughs> well that's what they you know they call it this great war with the shadows but honestly it was a little anticlimactic because it ends up you know sheridan goes to zaha doom sheridan dies at zaha doom comes back leads this final fight this is you know get the hell out of our galaxy and they say okay we're leaving well it, they wrapped well, that up the first ones faster than they had originally intended because they weren't sure about season five isn't it no that that was before the acceleration oh okay mm -hmm. yep yeah it was like episode six of season four and it was over okay yeah it's um into the fire right yeah this would be an opening for clark to gain power and make his move he's already done that yeah i think they're assuming that clark hasn't made a move he's been making several including killing the other president but this is clark, clark has no idea about a shadow war or anything else uh, and i'm kind of curious what the newbies are thinking that clark's ultimate goal would be besides taking over earth gov yeah and i mean he does he knows there's the shadows exist he absolutely knows that he's actually working with the shadow because as this is all going on they are putting shadow tech on earth ships which we'll find out later but he thinks that he's it's he's manipulating them to gain more power and to control earth whereas in he's actually a pawn just like londo is he just doesn't know it Right. The only point I was trying to make there was that he he doesn't have any idea the the larger implications. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the last one, we won't see Sinclair again, but I hope we do. We'll see him one more time. Well, in a two-parter. But uh, again, I think, Blake, you've made I, I love that you kind of threw up a red herring there saying that this may be the goodbye we get from Michael O'Hare. So they'll be even more surprised when we get to War Without End, which I'm excited for. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's it's very much a good end to this character when we finally find out what has really happened to him. Yeah. And we haven't even really been hearing about Valen much yet. We're going to start hearing more about Valen as we go. So when we find out that Sinclair is Valen, it makes more sense. We just haven't gotten there yet. So I have no doubt in a few beyond the rims, we're going to start getting questions. Who was Valen? Right. And then we can start having that conversation too. I, I've said it before, but I I just love how JMS really found a way to make the the Sinclair story beautiful in the end. You know, given given all the things he had to kind of you know write around with that, it was it was a truly truly amazing way to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree, and I and it wasn't in the original plan, but I sure do like the time loop because it makes everything make a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Anything else you guys want to talk about? in terms of this pretty damn big episode i think the last thing for me and as much as we've heard the newbies complain about the cgi in this show there were entire sets in this episode that did not exist um the area where sheridan talked to the emperor none of that was real except a few floor tiles to mark the scene every bit of that was generated the visuals are getting better the writing is getting better 
Um, next week is going to be a letdown for them, but if they once they're past that, I mean, this thing pretty much hits the gas until Man, I, I like Ropos. Well, I'm sorry you have bad taste. <laughs> oh, fine. I also like the fact that the I keep alluding to the one episode that's written by somebody other than JMS in season five, with also kind of deals with Gropos again, but right. I think my main issue with that, and I'm just going to say it since I won't be on next week, is there's no meaning or stakes to it. You know, you've got Clark who comes in and wants to focus on Earth and humanity, and now they're going to go fight this other conflict, but never really establishes a what was it for. You know, they're not doing something. There's no indication there that they're going and doing something at the shadows bidding. There's no... It's, it's just kind of a pointless, why are we doing this exercise, if that makes sense, within the greater arc. It's an episode so Garibaldi can get laid. Uh, yeah, And then he doesn't. And then he doesn't. Oh, poor Dodger. Poor Dodger. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thanks for having this conversation. It's always fun to talk about this episode, and I really have enjoyed getting a viewpoint from folks who hadn't seen it before. You know, this is one of those episodes that's required viewing, so we've all seen it at least several times. So getting that perspective was fun. And uh, I think uh, as we continue to move forward with this, we're going to get a lot more interesting perspectives. I like the fact that John uh, is starting to get annoyed that he has to wait week to week to watch the next episode. Oh, just wait, buddy. <laughs> just yeah. wait until we start taking back Earth. <laughs> and Jesse's rewatching episodes now. Yes, she is. Yes. Uh, you, I think everyone is bought in. Yeah, you said it. Nobody's talking about the bad CGI because they are now fully bought into the story. Oh, just wait until they break from Earth in season three. Those are those two episodes are my favorite of the series. <laughs> one of the best Alin lines ever. Yes, yes. You only value one your life has... somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> only one human has ever defeated him in Bari in battle. He is behind Jeez, me. Dude. You are in front of me. If you value your life, find somewhere else to be. Ah, <laughs> uh, when we get to the wars. Like when Andrew asks, is this the great war we heard about? Oh, you just wait, buddy. Yeah, buckle up, buddy. <laughs> you just wait. There's going to be a couple. Okay, guys. Well, uh, it's exciting that we finally got here. It's been 31 episodes in the making, and we kept telling our guys it's coming. But now it's here, and we got a few more little speed bumps, depending on who you ask. But it's here. The shadows have cometh. Until next week when we talk about Gropos, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Kevin. And Mike. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Hello, old friend. 